This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. In the next 19 seconds, you could sell your home. Okay, it's, I mean, it's not going to sell your home, I mean, this, but it, you're going to take a big step toward getting it sold. Go to realestateagentsitrust.com and find an agent selected by my team, a professional who shares your values and speaks the truth. Sell your home fast and for the most money. Get moving at realestateagentsitrust.com. In any number of circumstances, as they say, and so shall we say, gentlemen, Start your engines, Excelsior. You know, someday this war is going to be over, which you may recall as a line from a great movie. But we won't talk about that for now. What shall we talk about? What ought we discuss? Uh, A major coup d'etat that wasn't, that isn't, I think, what it appears to be, in the middle of the Islamic political and geographic world, which is probably the bottom story. French terror unparalleled. And in ascending order of cosmic importance, slaughter. But beyond slaughter, anarchy. Slaughter is something horrific that happens to other people. And it's something horrific about which we care. I'm not questioning my or your sincerity, authenticity, when it comes to the matter of our sense of loss and outrage. Except now there's a new dimension to this. I... I propose to you, there is for me, because like, well, compatible in every way with uh, the Guru J. Severin doctrine, the bullseye theory, like September 11th, the original, you were affected by it to the degree that you are near a bullseye. That bullseye could be geographic. You could, li- you could have lived nearby, could have lived across the street, could have worked in the building, could be dead. We move on to a new bullseye, could be dead. Could be your brother, sister, spouse, lover, mother, father, brother, sister, best friend, best friends, I had a friend who lost several good friends. And and again again that's just I you know I I It's the bullseye. How close were you to living it? Did you live there? Did you lose someone you love? Did you how did it affect you? 
There is always that line that we cross, and best and brightest. Oh, and by the way, in case you were wondering who you are, you are the best and brightest audience in radio. And like every day, I am honored to be here. I am Jay Severin. We are, together, the Blaze Radio Network, and the telephone number for complaints or dazzling bon mot, as you may feel contribute to our mind smorgasbord, is one 3393 My point being that I think the argument can be made, and I'm making it, herewith, that we may have all crossed a dimension in the bullseye zone. And the bullseye zone is when somebody is killed, right? There's a disturbance in the force, Luke. But when people are slaughtered, then we say, hmm... And when people are slaughtered near us, again, Ibid, see bullseye, okay? But when cops are slaughtered and it becomes part of our regular news, I remember talking about this on the radio in the the early 1990s about many of us shared a fear, uh, an anxiety, at least an apprehension, that we might have to learn to live as the Israelis have learned to live. To never accept, never embrace, never tolerate, but be forced to live with the fact of life, of death. That a chance visit to a delicatessen or a restaurant, a bar, a car rental place, a walk down the street, a ride on a bus, suddenly included the not entirely detached possibility of some kind of horror. Horror is spelled terror. And you see, with the assassination of police officers... I think we are all being moved. We, we, we are not being impelled, though many of us feel impelled. We are being compelled to move within that bullseye closer to the place in the bullseye you don't want to be and you don't want your family to be, i.e., the death zone within the bullseye. We have a lot of things that happened since Friday that we could start talking about, but the assassination, the planned assassination, not just slaughter, the planned assassination of police officers in cities across the United States is starting to become part of the daily menu and that's a very very unappetizing menu 
It's a very dangerous venue. We're beginning, some of us, far beyond beginning. Some of us, not yet beginning. But all of us are flirting with that scale on which we're beginning to relate to the notion of, wait a second, whoa, this is the United States of America. This shite doesn't happen here. This happens in barely pronounceable banana republics. It doesn't happen here. It happens for deeply held and exotic philosophical and religious motivations, but we don't really have those. We're Americans. And so say what you will, if that's a backhanded way of saying Americans are not as passionate as other cultures. I'll take that. I'd rather live. Thank you. But that this, this stuff doesn't happen here. Ladies and gentlemen, this stuff is happening here. How, why, what it means, straight ahead. Jay Severin. On the Blaze Radio Network. This is Jay Severin on the Blaze Radio Network. 1-888-900-3393. 1-888-900-3393. one 3393 At 12.59 Eastern Time, p.m. in the post-Meridian, today, uh, Prince Pubis gaveled to order the 2016 Republican National Convention. Never has there been less credibility, more hilarity, and a certain grim resignation to the opening phrase accompanying the gavel strike, which is, and I quote, this convention shall come to order. (laughs) You wish. Good luck. There's lots to talk about. There is terror in Europe unparalleled. There is Turkey clubbed, and maybe by its own hand. Haven't heard that one, have you? But right now I want to say, let's talk about us. The Baton Rouge, the red stick assassin, was a nation of Islam, a black Muslim. Oh, but wait, so I'm sorry, you knew that. You knew that from the thousands of media reports that already told you that. You know, just like if it had been like a a white dude and he had been wearing a Confederate flag T-shirt, it would be exactly the same nature, magnitude of coverage, right? Yeah, so you know that. You know that he was... Uh, black Muslim, that he was nation of Islam. You know that, right? 
<clears throat> because if you didn't know that, <clears throat> the media would be, pardon me, guilty of, oh, you know, a standard duble. But, but we know they don't do that. Yesterday was, by the way, uh, his death day. So, uh, happy death day to the red stick assassin. Hillary Clinton waited seven hours to respond to the shooting in Baton Rouge. Maybe she didn't want to ruin her speech today to the NAACP, where she pandered to a truly sickening degree for applause lines. You would really think that the news of the last several weeks had been uh, exclusively white cop assassin club uncovered, and then it had pictures of overweight white guys with KKK tattooed on their foreheads and, and them carrying around burning torches. That's what, if you listen to Hillary Clinton... That would, you'd, you'd assume that must have been the news, because otherwise, what is she talking about? Look, we are going to have a long time now, before, during, and after to talk about the Republican convention. And I don't mean to say by that we're not going to talk about it today. We are. But God help us, we're, we're going to talk about And not enough about the dead police officers. I don't know enough. God help me. I don't know enough to talk about them. And this is all, this is what I do for a living is follow this stuff. And, and I, I don't know, but I do know what it means. And I do know it means that we're entering a bullseye. We haven't bargained for all the dead police officers, all the guys who kissed their families yesterday and expected to be home for pizza night. They were all in their 30s with young families. One guy had a baby, I think, 10 weeks ago, something like that. They lived. They died because of why they lived. They lived to protect my family and yours from the kind of horrible scumbag that killed them. What does it say when the most likely of us to come home at night because we carry a gun and we have the authority of detention, we can go up to a fellow human being and deprive them of the the quintessential human right of coming and going. Think of think of the magnitude of power we vest in our police officers, which statutorily, philosophically, we must do in order that they can effectively do what we ask them to do with some minimal prophylactic of survivability. We give them the right to to deprive people of 
well, life and liberty, if they had judged that to be the appropriate response. That is one hell of an important responsibility. We vest them with the full authority of us and with the obligation and authority to stand in the way of a bullet when something goes bump in the night. Some of us lock and load, take a look. Others of us do that and speed dial, you know, the police. Some of us don't call the, uh, rather don't, can't lock and load, and we just call the police and uh, shiver me timbers under the blankets and, and wait for someone else to come stand in the way of, of a bullet for us. But my point is, the whole point is, where I started, police officers are the most, in, in theory, the most empowered citizens we have. They go to work every day and they carry a gun. And they carry the full vested authority of their fellow citizens. They're the most likely, I mean, you could argue least likely because there's a target on their backs now. But for hundreds of years, they have been the most likely to survive their day at work. Okay, maybe least likely too. I don't know. You tell me. Which is it? One triple eight nine hundred three three nine three. Tell me. One triple eight nine hundred three three nine three. I'll argue either side. I would enjoy arguing either side. Side A, the binary choice is police officers are the least likely people to return at the end of their workday alive. Uh, B is they are the most likely to return alive at the end of their shift. But I'm asking you something else outside the binary choice. We have a new, voila, we have a new choice. Z. Choice Z is the Zika virus from which Hillary Clinton suffers. No, I just had to slip that in. Uh, uh, Choice Z is ask yourself, how safe are you if a police officer is no longer highly likely to return home to his or her family at night, if people with the guns and the badges and all the power in which we uh, we vested them, if they are now regular targets of homicidal maniacs, how safe do you think you are? And I'll tell you, I don't, you know, I've felt safer. I don't I don't have a target on my back. I'm not suggesting that. I'm not suggesting you do. But the cosmic prophylactic that we all carry with us presumptively as American citizens all of a sudden feels a little just a little less certain than it used to feel. If police officers are not safe, if people are now willing to gun down police officers in planned, premeditated assassinations, how safe are we? How safe are we? And you say, okay, okay, it's awful, it happens, we must deal with it, 
Okay, I'm in agreement with that. But suppose in addition to this, we have a president of the United States who seems to be, and I think is, on the wrong side. Jay Severin on the Blaze Radio Network. I am a big fan of disruptive ideas, and this year, Casper Mattresses is on the top of my list. Hi, it's Glenn Beck, and I love sleeping on my Casper mattress. Casper is an obsessively engineered mattress at an unbelievably fair price. It combines springy latex and supportive memory foams to create an award-winning sleep service with just the right sink and just the right bounce. And better yet, it breathes so you don't wake up drenched in sweat. Time Magazine named it one of the best inventions of 2015. In fact, it's now the most awarded mattress of the decade. Try Casper for 100 nights risk-free in your home. And if you don't love it, they're going to pick it up and refund everything. Imagine that, a company so confident that their product is what you want, that they'll offer a 100% refund. Made in America, with free shipping and returns to U.S. and Canada. Get $50 off of any mattress purchase by visiting casper.com slash glen and use the promo code glen. Terms and conditions do apply. Go to casper.com slash glen, casper.com slash Glenn. The Jay Severin Show on the Blaze Radio Network. Obama? It's not as though he's not doing enough. It's that he is a treasonous bastard on the wrong side. Obama's doing plenty on the side against the police. Barack, insane, Obama took sides against the police and sent that grotesquely dangerous message from the earliest moments of his presidency. Remember when the Cambridge, Massachusetts Police Department acted, quote, stupidly? End quote. Remember when the president of the United States insinuated himself into a matter of the most municipal law enforcement? When the Cambridge Mass Police Department caught a guy breaking into a house, there is no question or contest that that's what the person was doing. It happens it was his own house. But Inasmuch as police officers, everything else we pay them to do, we don't pay them to be Karnak the Magnificent. And when they see a guy uh, kicking a door, jimmying the door, hitting the door, trying to kick the door in, do you know what most police officers are not trained to assume? That it's his own house! But it only took the President of the United States a couple hours to say the police department acted stupidly. After all, how could they bust someone for breaking into their own house? And do you think anybody at the Washington Post or the New York Times or the Boston Glob or anybody from the perennial trough 
of Pulitzer winners said, hmm, could they maybe have not known he was breaking into his own home because the dumb bastard lost his key? If anyone was stupid, who was it? Well, not the police. And even if it was, the president of the United States doesn't say so. My point is, Obama drew the lines from the earliest moments of his presidency. He gave, he, he, he displayed his bias, he displayed his bias against police officers. And so, if you have the sense, look, this stuff is happening, it's happened, we can't take it back. So, what can we do? I mean, if, 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 I don't believe there are people in this audience who are asking a question different than that. Because uh, you, you, you're, you're on the wrong place on the dial here. Obviously, if something's happened, there is only one question. If something untoward, something threatening, something awful has happened, the question is, well, the, the chain, the logic chain of questions, could it happen to us? Okay, how do we prevent it? How do we maximize the prospects of preventing it happening to us? What do we do now? It's done. What do we do now? The only one not asking that question is the President of the United States. Well, I guess he's asking it. He's asking it, and his answer is, let's trash the police. Let's call them stupid. He did it from the earliest moments of his presidency. He let us know on which side of the fence he sits. He's been there ever since, and he never opens his Marxist mouth without signaling that, well, it's really too bad that these police officers were killed. On the other hand, you know, I mean, we really need to come together. There's, you know, it's... So many young black men, if I had a son, if you had sex, maybe you'd have a son. But if I had a son, he would look like Latrain or Levon or whoever it was. What is that all about? What is that all about? Someone acted within compliance of the law. A tragedy occurred. Someone was shot. There was a standoff. Someone stood their ground, uh, pursuant to the statutes of the state of their residence. Someone died, a young person. It's tragic. But the president of the United States jumps at the chance to say, well, you know, if I had a son, he would look just like Levon or whatever his name, and I don't mean to be disrespectful, I just, I don't remember his name. I would rather remember the name of police officers. Because don't forget, or nota bene, African Americans, and this is the case of where you get in trouble for stating the truth, but I'm still on the air today, and I said it several times in the last month, so I presume that we still have no problem with most truths here. And this one is that African Americans comprise 12.2% of the pop, 12.2% 
of the population of the United States. And according to the statistics that you can reference right now online, according to Obama's own U.S. Department of Justice, a group which comprises 12.2% of our population commits something on the line of 74% of its violent crime. And, and, and if one is really, uh, really rolling the dice and being truthful, one might say it's really not 12.2%, because although that is the African-American population of the United States, <clears throat> that's really not who is out committing crime. From the 12.2% of our fellow citizens who are African-American, one must logically subtract elderly women, elderly men, disabled women, disabled men, four-year-old women, four-year-old men, law-abiding African-Americans, really starts to add up. Because what we're really talking about is young men of color between the ages of, say, 15 and 35 They're not 12.2% of the population. They're about 4% of the population. And 4% of the population is committing the vast majority of violent crime, which, ipso facto, is why the exposure of young men of color to police officers of all colors is higher than... It is with other racial groups. Police go where policing is required. Police go where and to whom and confront criminals. Or, uh, to be ridiculously fair, uh, people committing crime. So police engage with people committing crimes. And a disproportionate number of certain segments of our citizenry are engaged in the commission of violent crime. And no one seems to, you know, it used to be in the, in the old days, like a year ago, if a black police officer was engaged in a shooting of a young black man, it it wouldn't be a story because, well, well, you know, after all the cop is black, the, the, the poor kid was black. So there can't be racism there. But see that that doesn't go anymore. That doesn't that doesn't go anymore. Just cop is enough. Just cop is enough. And we don't talk about the facts and those facts certainly include that the reason for the commission of crime has zero to do with skin color and 100% to do with a shameful history of racism, exclusion, prejudice, bias, every possible chain, literally and figuratively, that we could place on our fellow citizens and say, okay, the race starts now. Good luck. Bang. Everyone gets to start the race evenly, except you get to do it with 400 years of extremely heavy chains, literally and figuratively. 
draped all over your body. Yes, it has to do with that, not skin color. But it does exist. It is a fact. There is a reason that young men of color are engaging with police officers more often than young, roving bands of Episcopalians. This is Jay Febron on the Blaze Radio Network. On the Blaze Radio Network. So it doesn't just look like Obama's not doing enough. And and again, I'm now divorcing myself from my editorial about him, his history, what I think we can demonstrate are his perverse views, uh, lacking in support of law enforcement. All of that I'm putting in the drawer and closing the drawer. This is a new but related point. Obama, let's say he called us tonight and said, you know, you bastards, you're right. What do I do? Okay. What do I do? What do you do? Here's what you do. You do the right thing. Now, because it's not just that Obama, Obama appears as if he's not doing enough or the wrong thing. He is, in fact, doing the wrong thing. He is, in fact, not doing enough. Police officers are getting slaughtered. I don't know. We don't know if we could send our children to the mall or to an event. Now, as we discussed last week, prior to the last two of these things happening, Nice and uh, Red Stick, all police officers in all localities in the United States of America are going to have to be former special operators with combat experience and they're going to be up armored from the skin out or they're not going to have a chance. Does it, does, you know, if you want to know, well, okay, Obama, what do you expect him to do? Here's what I expect him to do. He's a politician. He's an administrator. He's supposed to be able to figure out things or get smart people to work for him that can tell him what to do and or advise him what he ought to do. And here's what someone ought to be in front of him telling him what his ass ought to do right now. And that is recommend that all police departments in the United States have as a prerequisite to hiring combat experience as a frontline special operations combat veteran and up armor them from the skin out. You dress them like Darth Vader. Give them everything that is as blank proof as possible. And then you give them all up armored eight axle Humvee, 
monster machines with 50 cows all over the place. I mean, no police officer should be expected to ride a shift in a car less armored than a Brinks truck. You know the Brinks trucks that carry that have the that, that have the shotgun portal, portal uh, portals there. No police officer should have to ride a shift once in this America anymore without being in a vehicle the equivalent of a Brinks armored truck. And since we are talking about police officers, that won't do. That's not enough. I watched American Sniper. Is that the name of it? I watched Chris's story again the other night. And you know, I was impressed in the later scenes of the movie with these multi-axle monster uh, trucks with the mounted 50. And one's not enough. I mean, you, you got to have six mounted 50 cals uh, on that bad boy. You, you've got to have you can, everything that you can imagine. Leave it to Hollywood. Jesus, if that if Obama can't figure it out, give it to Scott Ridley. Give it give it to a director in Hollywood. Create a monster truck and create a RoboCop wardrobe from the skin out for our police officers so that these scumballs in the business of murdering police will realize early on that they don't have much of a chance. That, that they're likely to be killed far quicker and more surely than they are likely to harm one of us. And truly is a cop one of us. Anybody who has the temerity to harm a cop doesn't think twice about harming you. This is Jay Severin on the Blaze Radio Network. Murph says this is getting so heavy that he's thinking of switching back to sports. But Murph, this is sports. Excelsior. As you know, uh, ignorant, profoundly ignorant as I am about, I better hurry up and say because I could let your imagination run wild and you would think that I'm, I actually don't know everything. But uh, profoundly ignorant as I am uh, as to technical matters, uh, if, if you don't hear me suddenly, it won't be because I got sick like I did uh, in the second hour on Friday. It's because we're getting one of those good old-fashioned Cape Ann Midsummer uh, lightning thunder blow storms here. The, the the sky has just gone like dark green, and the trees are bent over double. And we've we've had the first couple lightning strikes already, so it could blow by. 
or it could uh, it could incinerate me. Who knows? Costo Maja, Chalukanuk. We'll get to those later. One triple eight nine hundred three three nine three. One triple eight nine hundred three three nine three. We're about to make our transition. I always feel disrespectful. Like, is there not something more you can say about the police officers? Yeah, there is always something more I can say. But nobody wants to hear anybody say all they can say about anything, especially when, you know, it's something like this. So it will, uh, I'm pretty sure I wrote my notes to to transit between one and the other. But... Uh, We've got partners on the phone, and if I don't get to them now, you know the rest of the sentence. Glenn from Pennsylvania, you're on, baby. Jay, how you doing? Well, thank you. Good. Jay, um, you know, originally I called because I had some comments to make uh, regarding the Louisiana shooting, but as I'm sitting here, I'm thinking to myself, you know, I want to clarify some things first, if I may. Is this the same individual that I have heard reported that was a Marine? Yes. The shooter, you mean? Yes. See, the only thing, and to to your point earlier, the only thing I was aware of was that he was a Marine. I didn't know his race. I didn't know you had mentioned that he is involved with Nation of Islam. Yeah. You didn't know that? Come on, how could you not know that? With all of the mainstream media hammering on the point that he's Nation of Islam. Come on. It is so aggravating. I actually said to my wife this morning, I said, you know, I'm not sure. I I, I can't be sure. Perhaps I may have even heard that he he was a white, uh, white young male that was a Marine. I said, but I can't be sure. And I said, I took it back and I said, no, 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 I'm almost sure that's not correct that I heard that. Because if that was the case, that's all I would have heard time and time again. But I did hear that he was a Marine two or three times. But I did not hear race. I did not hear, but I did hear that they thought he was involved with some sort of a, some sort of a sovereign group, like these uh, sovereign citizens that don't recognize government. And states, federal, or any other, any other means. And I thought to myself, well, they're going to spin that into a I forgot that. They're going to spin that into a Tea Party guy, I said to my wife. I said, you know, you can almost guarantee if they don't describe who the suspect is, then you can almost bet that they're they're a a black man uh, or or a uh, a nation of Islam or or some sort of Al-Qaeda guy or, or, or a Muslim or something. And it's just a shame anymore that you cannot just describe an individual for fear of, of being offensive. Yeah, yeah, you're right. By the way, as it's just as a sidebar, which, given your comments, suggests to me you might find of interest, the BBC, now you think of yourself writing the first two sentences of the story, of the flash bulletin on BBC, okay? So they, they do a top and bottom of the hour news break in addition to their famous news hours. So there's always a always top and bottom news break. And when Mike Pence was first selected by Donald Trump, the first sentence of the story as broadcast to the world's largest radio audience was American uh, pre- American presumptive 
Republican presidential candidate Donald Trump has chosen his running mate, Governor Mike Pence of Indiana, a prominent member of the American Tea Party, period. Well, that was the first. That was the first sentence of that uh, of that broadcast. So, anyway. Well, Jay. Um, once again, thank you for uh, enlightening me with some some facts. And uh, you know, I'm uh, a busy guy. I'm a traveling sales guy, and I had been listening to the radio since about eleven o'clock today. I had a lot of office work to do, and I'm sitting here driving along. And you know what? All I've heard is that the, the man was a marine. That's the one thing I was sure of. And they thought maybe he was related to the, to the sovereign citizen group. But you know what? Uh, it, it just goes to show that time and time again, when you're unsure of it, you can almost be sure that the, uh, the suspect fits the typical, the, the typical things we've been seeing lately. Glenn, thank you for working hard. I, I have been, and all of us are to some degree, but not really. You know, some, some to some degree, but some more than others in sales uh and they're basically in life you do for a living something that means you're in sales or you're not and uh there are degrees exponential degrees as you know but you're in sales and so you're pretty much like a professional baseball player uh you your average at the end of the year or the quarter is going to be three num dot and then three seven you know if you're very good, three seven one, or you know, if it's not a great year, it's going to be one ninety one, or but but you're going to have numbers after your name that determine how you feed your family, and right. only people who have a component of sales in some strong respect or another understand what that what that is. Well, you got to produce, otherwise, you're going to die on the vine. <laughs> yep. Otherwise, someone else is. That's right. Hey, have a great day, Jay. Glenn, thank you very much. You're a very generous and thoughtful caller. Thank you. Joel from Florida, welcome. Hey, Jay, how are you? Joel, welcome back. How are you? I'm well, Isn't thank you. A... Oh, good. Yeah, good. thank Listen, you. If, I, I... If, if, yes, uh, thank you. If I had a... If I had a um... If I had a Marxist race baiting president, he'd look just like Obama. And <laughs> once, um, once we get rid of all the police officers in this country and they get sick and tired of taking all this and being shot at with targets, um, what are they going to do? Are they going to give out Al Sharpton's number so he can yeah. come over and take care of it when somebody rips it's off a, the it's house an extremely, or breaks into your car? It's a profound question. You know what a starting police officer you know the starting salary of a, a yeah, year one police grand. officer in Dallas in Dallas is? Thirty-five, forty grand. Thirty-four. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's <laughs> disgusting. You know, I have my both of my grandfathers were both police officers. Um and my wife's uncle is a de- well, he's retired now, but he's he was a detective. Right. And um these are good people. These are good people, yeah. and, and I'm watching all of this, and all it is about is, is tearing down the rule of law. I mean, we watch yeah. it with Hillary Clinton. She gets away with whatever she wants to do. Al Sharpton owes millions of dollars in back taxes. Willie, they'll put Willie Nelson in jail, and they'll, and they'll invite Al Sharpton to the White House. I don't understand yep. it. 
But I do yeah. understand it. That's my point, is that <laughs> I figured it out a long time ago. When I, when, I, when I realized that Barack Obama, is, he does not have the same love of this country as I do, somebody who's, you know, whose people have been here for 400 years. They, they just don't. They, don't. they don't appreciate our, he doesn't appreciate our, our culture. He doesn't appreciate our heritage. He doesn't appreciate anything about it. You know, I, and, would, and it, I would, I would, if me, I may, I would, yeah. I would say, let's not conflate, as so often we do, the terms appreciate okay. and grateful. They don't mean the same thing. Appreciate is to yeah, have a, I understand, I understand, a robust understanding of, right? right so I write right. to someone and I say, I appreciate that you're busy. So I have a full understanding of the fact that you're busy. But we often use appreciate for I appreciate that thing you did for me. No, you should be saying I'm grateful for that thing you did right. for me. So okay. it's not that you. Obama doesn't appreciate. Obama fully appreciates these things. He just has his own appreciation of them. He has an appreciation, that is to say, an understanding of patriotism of America which is grossly different than yours and mine. Well, I know, but it pays for his, his golf tab. But here's the thing. You know, I'm watching this thing, you know, a couple of years back when we had the 150th anniversary of the Battle of Gettysburg, okay, yep. where thousands, hundreds of thousands, well, not hundreds of thousands, but, you know, 50-odd thousand men. Joel, I'm sorry. I have to hurry. I've line. got about 30 seconds here. Okay, well, but, you know, he couldn't even show up for that. You know, it's a major, because, major milestone in this country's history, and it, it wasn't important to him. Joel, I appreciate the call, and I, I, I'm sorry I mismanaged the clock. Call back soon. I'll be right back. The Jay Severin Show, only on the Blaze Radio Network. Jay Severin Show. Welcome back, best and brightest. One triple eight nine hundred three three nine three. I, <clears throat> I'm, I'm a little. Um, Asya, honey, sit down. Okay, find a place, get comfortable. Okay, you're making me nervous. Thank you. That's Asya Kirshimfiel. He's named after a massif, which is just outside Reykjavik, and uh, it's a beautiful, beautiful hill. And he's a beautiful dog, but sometimes. He can get on your nerves. Only, but I love you, honey. I love you just a little bit on my nerves. Okay. Uh, I, I'm getting to the point now where I I may start reaching uh, that tipping point where I've not been to national conventions more than I've been. And I, I, I went, I, I've been credentialed by a network to cover the Republican and Democrat National Conventions since, wow, since 1980. And stopped going, I I don't remember now. Um, I don't remember now. But I haven't been to the last couple. And I admit, I miss it. It's, 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 It's cheesy. And lovely and very American and exciting. And frankly, if you're in the business, 
it's it's where you ought to be. It's an embarrassment to be in the business and not be there. Is the kind you know what I mean? That kind of thing. Like most businesses have a convention of some sort. And if you and if you're not at the convention, you're almost expected to explain to other people or yourself why you're not at the convention. And this is one of those deals with the uh you know with the political conventions, and I miss them. They're everything they are. I I, I, I kind of love. I have to admit to you. Um, it, it, continuing our transition here now into the political, though not not uh, too abruptly, in the event of some physical violence. Now again, how easy was it for the scum? who committed the physical violence in Dallas and in Baton Rouge. How easy, relatively, was it for them to do that? It's, and then think about this thing in, in Cleveland. I mean, I'll start, I'll start with the end of this, kind of, uh, to, to, just because I should have, and I, I wrote it backward. Um, In the event of some physical violence against the delegates or other peaceable citizens, imagine that. Because the police are outnumbered and may be fearful. And I really bring this up to say, I can tell you based on the expertise of others that this, meaning this convention, meaning a convention, any convention, but especially a major national political party convention, is a security nightmare. I have SEAL and other special forces friends and many folks in the private security business that I have hired and worked with to protect my clients in this country and others uh, that work for the agency or have worked for the agency. And the, my general sense over the years when we talked about the kinds of assignments they they most hated was like protecting someone at a political convention or or protecting the convention itself. It's just a logistical uh, nightmare of layout. You're trying to guard an enormous stadium from the outside in and from the inside out, especially one with thousands of delegates, you know, people streaming in and out constantly, caterers, electricians, the guys who put it all together. This is a big show, and people put this show all together. I used to have a really close friend. I still have one. Uh, but I used to have another who uh, who do, who conceives and assembles these things. These things are an, an enormous creative and logistical undertaking. From a security standpoint, though, you have to stand there and you can't check everybody out fully. And and you want to talk about a great Second Amendment challenge? How about this? You know that the city of Cleveland has an open carry law and you may have already as i have seen video from the convention outside the convention on the street where people are allowed to strap several weapons 
on and across their bodies, including semi-automatic rifles, including AR-15s like shotguns. They could put strap, they can put them on their shoulder like a backpack. They could strap them over their back. They can carry them. They put them on their hips. And they're allowed to walk right up to where the police lines are. And they haven't done anything wrong. So a police officer sees, let's just say, a police officer sees a group of what he suspects to be, his instincts tell him, uh, is a group of Black Lives Matter uh, young men approaching them, and they're armed. And they have their arms at the ready. Not pointed, but they, they have their arms at, you know, accessible. In the open, slung over their shoulders, and they approach the police. The police can't legally do anything. I mean, un, 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 until, and this is yet to be litigated, and uh, pray God it, that won't happen, uh, but until they level their weapons in a, I, I, I believe the, the, the Ohio law reads in a menacing gesture, but it would be generally true in any state unless and until they level their weapons in a ready and menacing manner against somebody, uh, citizens, private citizens or police officers, the police can't do anything. They can't say, put down your gun or give up your gun or, you know, because you're allowed to. And this is a great second amendment challenge, right? I mean, this is not, if, just ask a cop in Cleveland right now. This is not some uh, first-year law school argument in the classroom. This is not moot court. This is not a philosophical question. This is, ought you be able to walk right up to the police with your weapons? Jay Severin, the Blaze Radio Network. This is the Jay Severin Show. I am predicting that the, and there's no way to know this except you just know it. I know it. You know it. We know it. But it will probably never be measured. And if so, certainly, you know what? You know what? It will be measured. But I don't believe we'll ever get it uh, unless it's some the product of some delicious leak. Uh, but. I expect the number one, you know who's the lead speaker tonight for the opening of the Republican convention? It's Melania Trump. It's, it's, it's Mrs. Trump. Okay. I'm guessing, predicting, that the number one voter reaction, and I do not mean this in a critical way. I mean, I mean it in a literally critical way, but not not it in a um, in a negative way I, I i predict that across america first of all given that 99% of people who hear mrs trump tonight will be hearing her for the first time okay 99% 
of people who hear her tonight, this will be the first time they've heard her. And I think they will be surprised how very heavy her German accent remains. She German or Austrian? She's what? Slovakian. Slovakian. Okay. Thank you, honey. Um, well, okay. It sounded German to me. Shows you what I know. But her her uh, accent remains heavy. And she's been here, you know, and married to him for, I think, 25 years. So, again, so what? I'm not criticizing her. Uh, and I'm not being negative. I just bet you, though. No, Essia? I just bet you that the the reaction to her, again, not negatively or anything, but it, it could play a role, you know, it could conceivably play a role, but I think there will be people along the spectrum of surprise. I, I don't think anyone's going to be turned off, uh, and I suspect there'll be a lot of middle-aged men turned on, but there will be a reaction tonight by Americans that say, Wow, I didn't know she sounded like that. And by like that, what they're going to mean is her accent remains after, you know, fairly long time, fairly heavy. But I I, I think what is more surprising is that she's a lead-off speaker tonight. Uh, Look, at least she could get into the building. Do you know as of last night, there were already two major network television guests that were booked to appear and could not get into the building because the Black Panthers were blocking their way into the convention entrance. Now, I don't mean that the Black Panthers were blocking the entrance to everybody. I mean, as I understand it, the Black Panthers knew who these two people were and made it impossible for these two people to get into the building in a timely fashion. And I'll tell you, I was about to say, not a lot angers me, but that would be a lie. A lot angers me. So on a spectrum of anger, let me tell you what really, really angers me. Can you imagine that someone is invited to speak at, at, at a national convention for the United States of America? during a presidential election year, and a group, not just any group, a group that advocates the slaughter of police officers. No, wait, did I say police officers? I mean white police officers and white people. I mean a racist thug group of sub-imbecility that recommends the slaughter, the assassination of people according to race would be allowed to have the influence such that they could determine who might and might not enter the building to speak to the American people. Have we no police? Have they no guns? Have we no jail cells? What do you, what do you mean the Black Panthers or any other group blocked anybody from coming into the building. Did we run out of guns? Did we run out of billy clubs? Did we run out of police officers that use force along an appropriate spectrum? 
including, I was going to say, but not limited to, I suppose you would have to limit it to, deadly physical force in order to enforce the law? Look, politics, it's a hideous but unavoidable uh, question whether this kind of anarchy, and I mean the slaughter of the police officers, I mean the what what may or may not occur at the convention. I I will I must tell you consider it a very happy miracle if if nothing violent occurs at this convention outside. And I it's what I want, it's what you want. But the prospect of it occurring is you know, not not a long shot, I don't think. But it's unavoidable to ask, who will this help or hurt? Whom? Whom will this help or hurt if there is violence at the Republican convention? I, I, I know you understand the question perfectly. I'm not suggesting, I'm not advocating, but I'm I am saying this. I don't think there's any question in the world that a political benefit and or wound accrues to a political party that is perceived to be or in fact connected with some kind of uh, disorder, some kind of violence. And Let's flip that coin. I don't think there's any question in the world that it helps a party that is perceived to be or is, in fact, a law and order party if there is an absence of law and order. And I think we know without question which party and which candidate that will be. Am I right? I mean, if let me put it this way. What are the prospects, 0 to 100, what are the prospects of televised violence by the left at this convention this week? Okay? So just give me a, give me a ballpark. And if it occurs, if it occurs, what are the chances that that's going to uh, anger Americans across the political spectrum and help the Republican Party? Are those two fair questions? Jason, are you still with us? All right, sorry, Jason, and I'm sure you told me that, Skip, and I and I just uh, zoned. I'm sorry, <clears throat> Jason is a busy man. He didn't have time to wait that long. He would have been a good guy to ask, uh, of whom to ask this question. And I <clears throat> ask it of myself. I don't know the answers. But... I've got guesses, as I'm sure you do. My my guess, my frank guess, is Frank Sinatra. No, my frank guess is that th- there is a better chance. I'm sorry, better is the wrong word. Forgive me. There is a greater chance of disruption than not during this week, I believe, from outside the theater. And if that disruption occurs, I regard it as a 99% chance that that disruption will be 
will be triggered by elements of the left. And if that happens, and I know I'm building a, a, a logic chain here, and any part of the chain that doesn't work out, the whole thing collapses. I get that. But I think it's more likely than not that there will be disruption. I think if there is disruption, it will come from the left. I think if there is disruption that comes from the left, that there is a 99% chance that will benefit the Republican Party and Donald Trump. Now, I don't know greatly. I don't think it will. It's not going to turn the tables on the election. But right now, and again, you can say this was another case where Donald Trump got lucky. He's getting awfully lucky recently, like being in Scotland the day of Brexit, uh, like saying I am the law and order candidate days before uh, police all over the country are attacked, like hours before the Republican convention convenes. He's getting awfully lucky, uh, awfully frequently, but all of this does, I know it's a little sick in a way, but really it does come down to if one party is the law and order party and the other one is not, or thusly perceived, what happens if there's unlawful disorder? Jay Severin, the Blaze Radio Network. Welcome back. Best and brightest. Jay Severin with you. Together we are the Blaze Radio Network. one 888 And so gavel to order at 1259 in the post-meridian today. Uh, Prince uh, Priebus called to, or, called to disorder the 2016 Republican National Convention. And now here's where it starts to get. You thought I was going to say good, right? Well, it it could. And the odd thing here is I want it to be good because I want us to have a lot of grotesque, awful, uncomfortable things happen so that we can laugh about them and talk about them. At the same time, if any of those things occur, that ratchets up the prospects that Hillary Clinton becomes president. So what you really want, if you, you never want to see Hillary again, is put 15 wedding cakes in a bag, leave it under the oak tree at Ruby Park. And no, if you never want to see Hillary again, what you want is a really boring Republican National Convention. But if, if, if our job is to get together and laugh about this stuff every day, Obviously, we want people's trousers to fall down. We want people slipping on banana peels. We want, we want grotesquely uncomfortable moments to occur. Right? Well, one of the, one of the problems underlying all of this is that we, we know what the most likely thing 
Well, the, look, there are two dimensions, two dimensions, two parallel universes in which something goes wrong, meaning entertainingly. And one dimension, one universe is inside the hall. And that would be like a floor fight. That would be some nut or a collection of nuts, a nut collection, you know, screaming about Trump or somebody else and trying to stop the convention. So one dimension, one universe is inside the hall. The other dimension, which is not as funny, could be far more entertaining, but not nearly as funny, is outside the hall. Because if anything serious occurs, it's going to happen outside the hall, in all likelihood, right? Whatever that likelihood may be. So one of the big problems here is is that in this sort of sick universe of grotesque celebrity and something bad happening, you know, because we're living in that era in which uh, infamy is no different than fame, right? In order to be famous, one used to have to do something noteworthy. You you became famous by inventing polio vaccine or inventing the automobile or something. Now, uh, especially among millennials, infamy will do just fine, thank you. They're perfectly happy to, to get on TV for any reason. It could be any sick, awful thing in the world. They're perfectly happy to settle for infamy. And, you know, that's what we worry about in circumstances like this. Oh, and postscript. Remember when it used to be that a military background, military training, military service would virtually guarantee that someone would not engage in some gruesome antisocial homicidal behavior it used to be that when you you know tell all right tell me about this guy well i know he is a marine or a former marine and you immediately think well this guy's square this guy's on the square you could trust this guy he's a marine well you know i love admire, worship the Marines, and so you know I'm not saying anything bad against them. But now, military service doesn't seem any guarantee against some nut trying for infamy, does it? I'll be watching tomorrow. The Jay Severin Show, only on the Blaze Radio Network.